0: Beohima everyone. We're continuing our study of Simha. We are in class number 86. Specifically, we are studying the subject of the Amida, specifically as it relates to our relationships with Hashem and with each other. We're up to the words. After we say Baruch, we we, we learn about humility. Ata was individual relationships. We spoke about Eloheinu the last few weeks. Then we say when we address Hashem VeLohe Avotenu. He is the God of our fathers. And it's important to understand why this is a necessary part of our discussion with Hashem. We're coming as individuals. We're coming to praise Him, to ask Him, to thank Him. He is our Creator and we owe Him all of that. And we introduce Him as, we say, Hashem, that's His name, Yudke Vavke. We say, He is our God. All of those words make sense. Why do we say, and you're the God of our fathers? That's a true statement, He is. But what does that have to do with our conversation with Him? Why is that being brought in the beginning of our discussion? I'd like to share with you a pasuk in Yeshaya. The Navi says shima'u elai. Listen to me. When he says listen to me, it sounds like there's other people talking. Shima'u elai. There might be other people saying other things. Rotfet sedek Those who are running after tzedek, after a righteous life. (inaudible) Mebakshe Adonai. Those who are seeking Hashem, looking to grow spiritually. He says, (inaudible) Habitu. You need to look. (inaudible) El sur husoftem. The rock that you were cut from. And continues afterwards and he says, Habitu el Avraham Look and study the life of Avraham your father. and Sarah the one who gave birth to you. What the Navi is saying is that a very critical part of our success in our lives, in our relationship with Hashem and soon we will see as well as marriage, is that we don't live our lives as if we are the first people that appeared on the planet. We all know that we're not the first people that appeared on the planet. But unfortunately, for most people, they live their life as if they were the first people. There has been thousands of years of humans that stepped on this planet. And an obvious question that every human should ask, but rarely do you hear the question, In Athens, in the old Greece, they had philosophers who spoke about the meaning of life and how to make the most out of life. There was a famous philosopher who walked the streets of Athens and every person that he would meet, he would ask the same question. Repeat again and again. The same question. How do you live life? I saw this in the book Al-Ishur. In Hebrew he writes, Ketzat Lihiot. Ketzat Lihiot means, how do you live life? Now That sounds like a very odd question to humans. How do you live life? You just live. What does that mean? But it's the most simple question. It's a question that we ask on the most meaningless things that we encounter in life. If you see a person playing a board game, a meaningless board game, and it looks somewhat interesting, you ask, so how do you play? Any item that you don't know what it is, or you never used it before, you ask, how do you play? How do you put this together? It's obvious. It's simple. To this, to this philosopher's credit, he asked the question. He never stopped asking the question. How do you live? Isn't that the first question that every human should ask when they step on this planet? What are the rules of life? How do you play this game called life? As we know, there are many, many people who have failed in life. Either they failed completely or they fail in many areas. And there are people who are very successful. So this is not a world where you come in and it's automatic you succeed. It's not like that at all. Ask the tens and tens of millions of people who are addicted in this country, whether it's alcohol or drugs, or whether it's gamblers. And those are just the ones that we talk about because they're from the worst of worst. But there's, there are so many things that people suffer with. Marriages people suffer with. They suffer with their children. They suffer with themselves. They suffer when they're teenagers. Midlife crisis. And they get old. There's all kinds of issues that people we could say fail when they live this life. It's not that hard to look around and see failures all around us. So the most obvious question that every human that steps foot on this planet is, "Hey, how do you play this game?" How do you succeed at this game of life? Even if it was a game, we would ask that question. But it's not even a game. It's much more important than a game. It's your life. It's your eternity. It's your future. It's your children. It's your grandchildren. It's so much more than a game. Why isn't everyone asking this question? Again, I say, to Socrates' credit, that was the philosopher. To his credit, at least he asked the question. How do you live? How do you live? You have any idea how to live? Do you have directions about life? On those streets of Athens in a different time period, another another philosopher used to walk around with a torch in his hand in the middle of the day and people saw him in the middle of the day with a torch in his hand and they asked him why are you holding a torch in the middle of the day? And he says I'm looking for a Ben Adam. I'm trying to find a Ben Adam. You know when you look for Hamets and you can't find it? Because they clean so well. So you take the candle and you look in the corner. Maybe in the corner somewhere you could find it. Maybe somewhere behind the couch you could find it. When you use a torch or a light you're looking for something that nobody could find he says I'm looking for a Ben Adam I'm looking for a true human that I could look at and say wow this is something special I can't find him all his life he's walking around with candles looking where's a Ben Adam did you find a Ben Adam I'm looking for him where is he I once heard a beautiful statement. What a true statement it is. That Darwin, Darwin is the one who has his theory of evolution, in short that we came from monkeys. That's basically what his theory was. I heard a great man say, and not in a joking way, that he doesn't blame Darwin. Darwin, the people that he saw and lived with, did not look very different from monkeys. Monkeys ate, they ate, monkeys slept, they sleep. Monkeys had many, many things that the people around them had. Unfortunately, we look in our streets and we see monkeys upgraded. The way people act, the way people talk, their values or lack of, their whole system. You see a human that has just a little more than monkey. He says, I don't blame Darwin for actually thinking we came from monkeys. He says, but if he would have seen my rabbi, he would never make that mistake. If he would have seen the type of person the Hafez Hayim was, if he would have seen his wisdom if he would have seen his character, if he would have seen some of our own grandmothers and great-grandmothers, he would not make that mistake. So that's what this man's looking for. He's trying to find the Ben Adam. He's trying to find something special. And he's not seeing it. That's the way it was in Athens. Again, I say to their credit, at least they're even looking for it. Where... Do you see people in the street asking this question? Where is everybody? I'll tell you first the answer why nobody's asking the question. Because we get used to a certain mode of behavior in life. It's part of the way Hashem made the world so there could be free choice. Hashem made us, when we're little, we're not capable of asking any question. And then we get used to it. And we have a habit Of never asking the question. We just live our life the same way we were at three, four, five, and we continue that way. Really, the way it's supposed to be is that one day we mature and then we start thinking, wait, how do you live this life? What are the rules of life? In Athens, some of these people actually woke up and asked the questions. Unfortunately for them, they couldn't find answers. But you know where they never asked this question? In Yerushalayim, they didn't have to ask this question. They didn't have to look for people with candles or torches. They were all over the place. Our people have had Bnei Adam from the inception, from Abraham Avinu on. The Pasuk says in the Torah, How do you live? Here it goes. Ushmartem et hukotai ve et mishpatai. Hashem says, I want you to guard my laws. Asher yaase otam ha Adam that the Adam will fulfill these mitzvot vahai bahem and you will live with them. What the Creator is saying is that the mitzvot are not for Him. Sometimes we think that the mitzvot are there for us to serve Him, as if He is in need of our service. And He's in need of our mitzvot. Hashem says, I don't need your mitzvot. I don't need your Shabbat. I don't need your Kashrut. I don't need your Tfilot. I'm doing fine without you. Remember, I created you. I don't need you. So why did I give you mitzvot? For what reason did I tell you, do this, don't do that, don't go here, don't listen to that, don't talk like that? Why did I tell you that? Hashem says, look at the words, Ushmartem et hukotay. Hukotai means, my laws. What does it mean, my laws? It should say, and you should keep the laws. What does it mean, my laws? My laws means that Hashem is telling us, I didn't give you these rules of life because I need them. Rather, I gave them to you because I use them. These are the principles that I live with. That's what makes me godly. When Hashem says, I want you to be patient, that's Hashem saying, that's the way I am. That's hukotai, mishpatai. When I tell you to be kind and give of yourself and give of your money, I'm not telling you for me. These are my principles. I am that person. I do that. I have the same principles. Hukotai u mishpatai. The mitzvot that Hashem gave us are the way a ben adam can live life on the highest level. That's why it says, "Asher yase otam haadam Bahem. and you will be able to live this world. Live doesn't mean breathe. Live means you live this world on the highest level of godliness. You have a tremendous amount of clarity. You have midot. You have simcha. You have peace of mind. You have guidance. You know exactly where you're going. You know where you're coming from. You know what you need to do. Life challenges come your way. You know how to navigate. When you have the rules of life, life becomes this beautiful journey that every step of the way, you see the map and then you follow directions. And the directions will always take you to one place. It's called Vahai Bahem. You're going to live life to the utmost. How do we find the rules of life? How do we answer Ketzad Lichyot? So the Navi says, look to your father and mother. Study Avraham Avinu and Sarah as an example. That's how you're going to learn the rules of life. One of the most important things about our people is that we look at ourselves as a link to a very large chain. A chain that's made of many links. We've had links from the time of Avraham Avinu till now. We do not see ourselves as our own link. We see ourselves as a link in a very big chain. That's part of how to live a great life. That you connect yourself with the people before me and you. Let me give you a few examples of where this takes such importance in our lives. Let's talk about marriage. How many people do you think right before they get married they come frantically asking questions about directions of how to be happily married? How many people do you think I mean some people have to take classes so they take them. Some people they even force them to go to a pre-Shalom Bayit person so they go. Usually not so happy to go. How many people do you think on their own are running to get advice about about successful marriage? And I will tell you the answer. The answer is almost none. Almost none. I don't want to say none because it sounds very uh, ambitious and I sound too confident, but almost none. Now, how could that be? In this country alone, you're talking about at least half the marriages end up in divorce. So, isn't it obvious? The first thing you would do is you go to a married person and you say, could you tell me some of the mistakes you've made? So that, forget your success. Tell me, how many mistakes did you make? And tell me how to avoid them. Wouldn't that be like the first obvious question to ask? You're about to get into this zone that's very dangerous. Your life and future depends on it. Shouldn't you be asking that question? We do that, by the way, with the most simple things. A person goes to build a house. And all the more so, they build a skyscraper. The first thing they do is they go to an architect. The first thing they do is go to an engineer. An architect and engineer is the one that tells them what they could build. What is an architect and an engineer? What is the definition of those people? Very simple. These are people that have studied buildings and structures of the last 5700 years. You see the first person that built a building he thought he did a great job and then all of a sudden it rained and he realized that his house got flooded and he said, oh, whoa, I need to fix that. Next time he built something, he took care of that problem but he forgot there's a wind that comes every once in a while and blows the house down so he took care of that problem and every time he built something he realized, boy, that was a mistake, I shouldn't do that and then one time he had a big party, 50 people came instead of five people. The house went down and they realize, wait, you can't build a house just for five people. Sometimes you have company. you got to have a little more strength in the house. And over time, so many mistakes were made in the world of buildings. And they wrote it down. And comes today's engineer and his, this architect who learned all of that information and says, listen, you want to build a solid home that's going to last it's going to be able to withstand all the different issues that come to homes. This is the way to do it. You can't do that. That's the way to do it. We do that. It's so obvious. Anybody here foolish enough to build their home on their own, without consulting, with an engineer or an architect? I mean, it's the law. You can't even do it. Because it's so obvious. But yet, for a stone or a brick, or a piece of wood, we go consult architects and engineers and our own lives, we don't even bother asking questions. It's such an amazing part of the human reality. It's the, it's the miracle of free choice. You couldn't have imagined such a thing. That a guy is putting a two-story house and he's getting all kinds of sign-offs to make sure everything is safe for the next hundred years. But his own life he's about to go into, his own marriage he's about to go into, and doesn't even get one sign off. He's not even interested. Has no questions. How many people that had a child for the first time ran to get advice how to raise a great, successful, healthy child? Answer is almost none. Almost none. How could it be? Don't you want your children to succeed? Don't you want them to do well? Don't you want them to be energetic? Don't you want them to be happy? Don't you want them to be able to succeed in all the different areas of life? Of course I do! Okay, so how do you think that's going to happen? It's just going to happen. But it doesn't just happen. Open your eyes. Look in the street. It doesn't just happen. How come you're not asking? Part of our great tradition is in order to be successful in life, you need to realize you are a link on a very beautiful chain. And before you go forward, you must go backwards. You need to go forward, but you got to go backwards first. And I don't know if there's a more important area of going backwards than marriage itself. Look what we find in Parashat Hayesara, the Parashah of marriage. The first marriage in the Torah and the first shiduch that's spoken about in the Torah is the story of Yitzhak and Rivka. Eliezer is sent on a mission by his master Abraham to find this perfect girl for Yitzhak. And he goes on this mission and as he begins this mission, He puts in a prayer. Listen to this prayer. The first word is the only one I'm going to focus on. It says, Vayomar. Vayomar, you all know what that means. And he said, and he starts talking to Hashem to help him. Now, as you know, in the Torah, there are not only letters, but there's also nekudot. Nekudot is how to sound the letters. Not only is there nekudot, but there's ta'amim. Ta'amim is how to accent the letters, how to sing the letters. Vayomar usually would have been with an atnah. Atnah means just stop. Vayomar or tarha, a small stop. Or if you want to really stop, they have this line that goes down, after the word and you read it like this that's a that's a hard stop but this one doesn't get a not a tarha not that kind of stop I just mentioned there is a very weird ta'amim on this word, it's only found four times in the whole Torah It's called a shal-shelet. It goes something like this. It's almost like the teru'ah of the shofar with the breaking sounds. It's three sounds that are broken. It's called shal-shelet. So the obvious question is why when Eliezer speaks about this great mission of the marriage of Yitzhak Avinu, does the Torah put a Shalshalet? A Shalshalet is from the word Shilosha. Three. Well, it sounds like three. Shalshalet, three. It's even written one, two, three. What does the three of the Shal Shalat, what are they pointing at? They're pointing about everything that we're speaking about today. That in order to make it big in life, for you and your marriage and your children, you need to remember the Shal Shalat. You see, the first break in the Shal Shalat Is what the Mishnah says in Perkei Avot, Da Me'ain Bata. Where did you come from? Study your past. Study your history. Go to the engineers. Go to the architects. Don't start as if you're the first person getting married. No good. Go backwards. And then, you know. Who you are, and where you came from, and then you go forwards. Shlosha, there's a past, there's you, and then there is you become the past of the future. You have to see yourself as a shal shelet Eliyazir, when he's praying for the shiduch of. Yitzhak and Rifka, or whoever the girl would be, he is reminded, and the Torah reminds us, that this mission is not just to get married. This mission is to be able to get another link that's going to connect to the past and a link that will be ready to connect the future. That's what every Jewish home is supposed to look like. That's what the whole idea of a bayit, Yehudi, is. A bayit ne'eman is a bayit that sees themselves as a shal Go back and prepare yourself now and become the person for those coming after you. That's why it says this shall-Shelet by Eliezer. He realized that important part of his mission. We see the word, the shall-Shelet by Yosef. When Yosef had that impossible challenge in Egypt, he was by himself after he was sold by his brothers. He was 17. He was demoted to be a slave. And then one of the most important women... In Egypt, really wanted to marry him. She was going after him. And it became very hard for him. It was an impossible test on many levels. From a desire level, from a power level, from getting out of slavery level. This is it. This is his ticket. And the pasuk says he did the impossible. And the pasuk says the word, famous word, vaymaen. Vayma'en means and he refused. Did you ever have something that was so hard to refuse, something that you couldn't put away, something you couldn't do away with? Yosef refused. Vayma'en. What's the ta'amim on vayma'en? Shal shelet. Vayma'en. Why? The Gemara says that Yosef, struggling with this decision, he all of a sudden saw the image of his father. The Gemara says, the image of his father appeared to him and says to him, Yosef, Atidim Ahecha. You know, your brothers in the future, they're going to be written on the Kohen Gadol's breastplate the names of the Shvatim are going to be on those stones. And you're one of them. Retzoncha, do you want mahesh Shemecha benehem? Do you want to be erased from that list? And Miyad, immediately, Yosef got the strength and he stopped. Some explain this was not a miraculous dream he had. Some explain this was Yosef making the decision, struggling. What should I do? Should I go with her? Should I not? And what is it that got him over the edge? His connection to his father and his responsibility for his future. The Shalshelet is what gave the strength of Vayma'en. If you ever wonder what your children need, to be strong wherever they are in life. They need a shal-shelet in their life. They need to feel that real connection and feel that true responsibility to their future. The Gemara says, Berachot, along these lines, that a person who builds a home, a beautiful home in Am Israel. Is viewed as if they built one of the ruins of Jerusalem. We're waiting for the rebuilding of Jerusalem. So when a person builds a beautiful home, it's as if they built one of the ruins of Jerusalem. And the obvious question is, why does he have to build a ruin? Why can't you build a new house? Why can't you say you built? A beautiful home, a bait in Eman, your home is full of simcha, it's full of beauty and happiness and all the shalom and the ahava. Great! You know what you did? You just built another home in Yerushalayim. We got one step closer. But we don't say that. We say, oh, you just rebuilt one of the ruins of Yerushalayim. The answer is because we don't like to build new homes. We don't build new homes. That's not our goal. Our goal is to take the homes before us. The homes that are no longer around. The homes that passed on years ago. And we like to rebuild them. That's how you get a great home. You know, the Gemara says in Masekhet Pesachim that a great marriage, a super marriage, is compared to Einvehagefen geffen It's compared to the grapes of the vines of the grape tree it's called the the grape tree is called geffen not the grapes by the way when you say bore peri ha geffen the word geffen doesn't mean wine and doesn't mean grapes the geffen is referring to the tree bore peri the fruit of the geffen so the gemara says the gemara says a great marriage is like when you put together gefen, the grapes of the Geffen tree with grapes of the Geffen tree. Maybe you've heard that before. Under a Huppah sometimes they say it. Gefen, gefen. And the obvious question is why did they choose A grape as the example of mixing two beautiful fruits together. What's wrong with apples? What's wrong with oranges? What about dates? What about pomegranates? What is special about a grape of the geffen? So it's interesting that the geffen tree is very unique amongst the trees. Trees, they grow on their own every year. But what's unique about the geffen one Is that unlike the other trees that stand by themselves, an apple tree stands by itself? Every tree stands by itself. But if you ever saw a vineyard, you'd realize that the vines, they need some sort of support. The vines need something to hold them up. So, what is a great marriage? It's a marriage that is being supported like the grapes. When a person is looking for support from the marriages that came before, that is a beautiful marriage. Years ago, I attended a lecture of a great rabbi, and he said the following words, which shocked me. He said, you'd be a fool in life to learn from your mistakes. I'm surprised to hear that. My whole life they taught me that you're a genius when you learn from your mistakes. And here's this man, he must have missed those lessons. He says, you'd be a fool to learn from your mistakes. Couldn't understand what what he's talking about. And then he explained himself in a very beautiful way. And he says, when you could learn from somebody else's mistakes, you'd be a fool to learn from yours. When we build on previous marriages, we don't only mean success, we also mean failure. You could learn so much what not to do and what to do from people before you. That's also called support. By the way, this could be the reason why most people who get married, get married with a ring. According to Halakha, a man has to give a woman something of value And they're married. But we never give really anything but a ring. Sometimes a coin, usually a ring. Why a ring out of all things? So some explain to remind the husband and wife that are getting married now. Here is another link. A ring is one of those links on the chain. And now if you can see yourself as a ring and attach yourself and get ready to be attached by others, you're going to be matzliach. So when we go into a relationship, we say Elohe Avotenu. We do not dare to go in front of Hashem and say, Hashem, we're ready to build a relationship with you. We have ideas, we're confident, we're going to do it right, we're about to talk to you, we're about to build the relationship. We don't have such confidence. We don't do that. Not in building marriage and not building with the Creator of the world. And that's why before we even talk to Him, the first things we say is, "velohe We recognize that we are but a link in a beautiful chain. And we say to Him, we're not coming to you before we went back and learned how to live life properly, and then we're coming to you. We cannot come to you otherwise. That is the message of the Amida of Elohe Avotenu. I want to share with you some, some beautiful Pesukim in Shira Shirim. Shira Shirim is a song of the Jewish soul in exile. It's a Mashal. And I'm going to read for you just a few Pesukim. About a conversation that the Jewish Neshama has with the Creator of the world while in exile. First, she turns to all the other people that she lives amongst and she says to them, Al Tir'uni, do not look at me, don't stare at me like that. She'ani, She'harhoret. I see you're looking at me because I'm all burnt. My skin is all burnt. Don't look at me because I'm burnt. <inaudible> I got burnt from the sun. That's not my, my natural skin isn't burnt. I just got burnt now by the sun. <inaudible> my cousins means the people we live in Galut with. They scorched me, they burnt me, samuni, they placed me, notera etakeramim, they placed me to watch their vineyards, karmi sheli, my vineyard, lo natarti, I didn't watch. Let me tell you what this means. What this means is that the soul is saying that this is not who I am. I may be acting like a Goy. I may be talking like a Goy. I may be getting married like a Goy. But I'm not a Goy. I'm different. And if you see me this way, it's not who I am. I am supposed to be higher than that. I am better than that. The reason why I'm like this is instead of watching my vineyard, a vineyard in Tanakh is usually given as a mashal for a purpose. A goal, a vineyard, you plant it, you take the grapes, you squeeze them, you make wine. My vineyard I ignored. I have a beautiful vineyard that I was given to watch and to produce. But instead of watching my vineyard, I'm watching their vineyards. I'm doing things that they're involved in. So listen to what she says. She recognizes that she's not where she is or she's supposed to be. She says, she turns to Hashem and she says, Hashem, please, by the way, you should know who's talking is our own neshamot. I don't know if you ever heard your neshamat talking. Maybe you didn't hear it with your ears, but you've heard it with your heart. That's what Shlomo Amalekh is describing. Hagidali Hashem, please tell me. I'm in this galut. I feel I'm drowning here. Hagidali, Dali, please tell me. She'ahava nafshi. You are my love. Echatir e. Where are you? How do I find you? You know how many times in life a Jew feels something missing? They feel something not right. And they want to know where to find. How do I get back to the ladder? How do I get back to where I'm supposed to be? That's the soul screaming, Hashem, please help me. Where am I going to find you? How do I get to you? Sometimes a person feels so lost. They don't even know how to track themselves back. How? What do I do? I don't know. Should I go to the Kotel Maaravi? Should I put an Israeli flag by my house? Should I camp out? By Kever Rahel, What should I do? I don't know how to get close to you. I've lost all direction. It's very possible a Jew in Galut to lose all direction. She says to Hashem, please tell me, how do I get to you? Where are you? Listen to this answer. That's why I brought this. Look at the response that Hashem gives. <inaudible> Hashem says to her, if you don't know, where to find me. <inaudible> he says, you beautiful of woman. Wait, hold on. That wasn't part of the... What does that have to do anything? He's supposed to answer her. He's supposed to say, if you don't know, so let me tell you how to do it. And he does in a minute. But somehow, some way, in the middle of responding and says, if you don't know, you beautiful woman, what? What does that have to do with anything? What does Yafa Ban Nashim have to do with anything right now? Describing Am Yisrael. The first thing Hashem is telling us you want to find me? The first thing you have to do is find yourself. The first thing you have to know is who you are. Hashem says you are not like everybody else. And that's not biased. It's not prejudice. It's not that you feel more pride because of it. A great pianist has the right to be a great pianist. That's not considered arrogance. It's not considered prejudice that he is a great pianist or a great football player or very talented in singing or very talented in acting or talented in science. Talent itself is not a prejudice. What you do with it may be if you use it to hurt people if you use it to become arrogant, maybe it could become a tool. Hashem says to Am Yisrael, first thing is you have to know who you are. You are Yafa ban Nashim. I have many Nashim referring to the nations of the world. But you are Yafa Banashim. Not that they're not Yafah, but you are the Yafa ban Nashim. There's something very special about a Yehudi. The neshama of a Yehudi is not like every other neshama in the world. There are many people that are trying to make us be like one of the nations. We're not one of the nations. We are Hayafa Banashim. We must recognize that we have a different kind of value system. You want to give me some... Uh, should I give you some examples? For what it means, Yafa Banashin. Here's something you've never seen in our history. Have you ever heard of the Jewish nation murdering their children? Right, you said what? Right, you said that. What? Did you say what? Yes. Have you ever heard of Am Yisrael murdering their children? You know, they told them Abu Sabi. They said, oh, you should have a boy. And then they had a girl. They got so upset. What am I doing with this girl? You know what? Let's not tell anybody. Baruch dayan ha'emet. I know, has shalom. You ever heard of such a thing in our history? Hashem says, Hayafa banashim. You are beautiful. Which means you have to know that there's something special about you. You have to know you're not like everybody else. Just like when you have a child that's gifted and a child that's not so gifted in a certain area. And the gifted one is acting like the one that's not gifted. And you say, but wait, I want you to go take piano lessons. I say, but mom, you don't tell him to take piano lessons. No, no, but I want you to go learn. But mom, you don't tell him to learn. But I want you to go pray. But you don't tell him to pray. Wait, But he's not like you. You're talented. You're capable. (inaudible) Yafabanashi means the first thing that makes a Yehudi successful is to realize that more is expected of us. We're not like everybody else. And we must see that beauty within us. After Hashem says, you're Yafaba Nashim, oh, you realize now you're beautiful? You realize that you have much higher potential? You have a higher responsibility? Again, this class is not about walking out saying, wow, we're really great people. That, that's not what it's about. You're making a mistake. It's about saying, wow, compared to where we should be, we're in no, in, not even close to fulfilling our responsibility. We have so much more to do in our lives. We're supposed to be the teachers of humanity, not the followers of humanity. Yafa banashim. You're supposed to be the one everyone is looking at. Someone beautiful, everyone is staring at. Oh my goodness, I can't believe it. What is she wearing? What does she have in her eyes? Am Yisrael is Yaffa banashim. Everyone is supposed to stare at us and study from us. But in Galut, unfortunately... Sometimes we forget and we start to learn from the others that are supposed to be teaching us. How terrible would it be if you went into a classroom of young children and you see the teacher is learning from them how to fight, how to eat, how to talk inappropriately. Imagine you walked into a classroom, what would you say? You'd say, what a pity, what a pity! What a disaster. The teacher is there, supposed to teach the kids, supposed to model for them what a person is supposed to look like, how a person talks, how a person dresses, how a person gets married, how a person acts, how a person gives. You're the teacher. What are you doing on the floor with ketchup on your shirt? What are you doing? They're supposed to learn. And he'll say, what do you mean? They're all doing it. But you're the teacher. You're Yafa Banashim. They're supposed to look at you and say, Wow, look at this man. Look at this lady. i got to be like them. Look how sweet they are. I'll never forget this. Last year, I met a young lady. I didn't meet her. I know her for a long time. Turns out, a beautiful young lady. In so many ways. So, I don't know why in conversation, I just asked her, I said, tell me what was the biggest turning point of your life? Sometimes you ask a question like that. Usually people say, I'm not sure, I don't know. But this one, the second I finished the question, she said, I had a teacher in fifth grade. She was this royal person. She did a whole year. Never raised her voice. Every day she was smiling from beginning to end. There was energy in the class. I don't remember a word I learned from her, but I was just staring at her the whole year. That's called Yafa Anashim. When someone is beautiful, You don't even have to learn from what they say. You just look at them. Do you know what it looks like when there's a beautiful home and a beautiful marriage, beautiful children? People walk around with dignity and kindness and respect when a husband respects his wife, when they're real partners, when there's Shekhinah in their home. You know what happens when people walk by that house or walk into the house? Just stare. What is that? That's Yafa Banashim. What a beautiful home. A person walks around calm, doesn't get excited by different things around them. They have a certain positive energy to them, a certain happiness to them. And it's constant. It's always. You know what happens to that person? What is that? That's Yafa Banashim. That is The job of our people. We're not the billions of the street. But you know what? For every thousand people, there's 30 teachers, 20 teachers. We are the teachers who we're supposed to be. The teachers of mankind. So says Hashem, you want to find me? Number one, you got to know, you are Yafa Banashim. Now, when you realize that, Let me tell you now where to go with it. He says, if you don't know how to find me, which you don't, go out, those are the words of today's class. Go follow the steps of the sheep. Now, on a simple level, when sheep are together and one of them gets lost, And they need to find the shepherd So what do they do? So they look around They search for the feet The footsteps And they follow the footsteps All the way till the shepherd Hashem says You want to find me? The first thing you have to know Is that you're only going to find me Through your grandpa Through your grandmother You're going to find me Through your great-grandfather You're going to find me by tracking the steps. When you follow the great people that preceded you, whether they're in your family, whether they're in somebody else's family, whether they're great rabbis, or great women, or great men, you need to learn what they did. Because when you follow their steps, before you know it, you'll be right by the shepherd. You'll be right by me. I'm scared to say this, because I think in some cases it's just not true. But up to a hundred years ago, every mother and father was a yafab Nashim for their children. We look at our great-grandmothers today, and we can't even understand them. They're like different planet. These people, the way they are, the way. The last hundred years, unfortunately, in galut. We lost a lot of the purity in the Kiddushah. People didn't go to school. People had no education. People go to yeshiva. They're going from place to place. They got off on an island and they lived there. There was no family structure the right way it should be. last hundred years, a lot of things happened that's not the norm. But go back before a hundred years, every home in Am Yisrael had a Kashrut stamp in it. He didn't have to ask who is the mashkiach. It was the home. Our great-grandmothers and great-grandfathers, even the simple ones, were the most beautiful people. I, for sure, have met some of them. You've met some of them. They may not have been perfect in every area, but they were great role models. Role models of sacrifice. Role models of values. Role models of honesty. Role models of Yirat Shamaim. So many beautiful things that we saw in our own grandparents, great-grandparents. Says Hashem, you want to find me? You need to start looking for the footsteps that are near you. And then you'll be able to get to me. You can't get to me straight. You can't get to me by talking to me. When you start the Amidah, you can't just say, Hashem, let me get close to you. No, no. avotenu, Let me go back. Let me study how my father got close to you. Let me see how my mother got close to you. Let me study my great-grandparents. Let me study my rabbi. Let me study those great people before us. You know what the Misla Sharim says? He says, if you want to find the greatest medicine... He calls it a medicine. The strongest, most powerful medicine to be able to achieve in life, he says. Spend some time every day and think about what made our parents and grandparents, Abraham, Yitzhak and Yaakov and all of those people, what made them so special? You should know that these are the people that need to become the heroes in our homes. Unfortunately, we live in a country that heroes have in common either money, power, fame, or talent. In our history, none of those things make you a hero. In our history, we never looked up to rich people. We don't care that you have money. It doesn't impress us that you have money. Maybe what you do with your money, that might be impressive. That's something we look up to. We don't care how big your house is. It doesn't matter to us. We don't have in our history the great architecture of the buildings of Jerusalem. We don't even know about those. We don't care about your home. We care about what's in your home. We we care about what you're raising your home and the atmosphere of your home. It doesn't matter to us if you're famous. We'd like to know how influential you are. That matters to us. It doesn't matter that you're talented. We want to see your humility. We want to see if you understand where that talent came from. Our people go to a funeral. They don't talk about a guy's money. They don't talk about a person's house. They don't talk about the person's talent. They talk, but they're not supposed to at least Talk about what you've accomplished in your life. Our heroes were people like Avraham Avinu. Those are supposed to be the heroes in our home. Not anybody else. God forbid the people in the street. These are not heroes. These are not people that we want to be like or want our children to be like. These are people who are so far from reality of simcha and living a great life. Avraham Avinu is a hero of ours. That's the person, that's ikvehatzon. When you, every year, when we read the parashiot, we sit here and we discuss, oh, you know what happened in that story? Oh, look what the pasuk says. Oh, wow, look what he did. That's amazing. You know what that's doing? That's learning, that's going, Be' Hatzon. My hero is the man that on a day of pain from surgery, he's looking to see who he can help. Instead of using the day to relax and go to the beach and take it easy and just sit and take it slow for a day. You're in pain. You're old. Come on, Abraham. Take a break. We take breaks when we don't need to take breaks. Abraham Avinu, here's a day for a break. Even God said, take a break. Abraham Avinu is sitting by the door. Abraham Avinu has more pain from not helping others than from the pain that he feels on his body. Those are the heroes, that's called Ikve I say to myself, oh, I want to be like Avraham Avinu. I want to be like that. I want to act that way. I also want to be in a situation where it's hard for me to be there for somebody, and I want to be there. I'd rather relax, oh, I'm going on vacation, but you know what? Maybe I'll delay it, because I know you need me. That's what I want to be. That's what Avraham Avinu was doing. Avraham's strength to fight a pagan society, one man against the world. He didn't care what everybody else thinks. If he's doing the right thing, oh, I want to be like that man. I don't want everyone against me. But if it had to be, I want to have that strength. I want to be able to pray for my enemies like Abraham prayed for Sodom. I want to be able to plead in front of Hashem. Please, maybe you could save them. Maybe there's a chance for them. I want to go and fight in a war so I could save my nephew who left me and actually went against me. But now he's in a world war captive? I want to go fight that war. I want to save him. Sarah Imenu's modesty. Torah, Torah doesn't say much about Sarah Imenu. We don't have a lot of information about her. But one thing it does, say, it does say is that when the angels came, they asked Abraham, Hey, where's your wife, Sarah? And they told him, She's in the oil. She's in the tent. And Abraham was glowing when he said that she's in the tent Hazal say what were they asking for what did they care what she was they wanted him to be proud of his wife that she's a beautiful woman but she's a modest woman she's not in the street she's not loud she's not all over the place she did her, her greatness was the oil her greatness was what she did in the oil you could see her greatness outside the oil but it all came from there. That's the woman that I look up to. Rivka Imenu just, just reading this Karashiyot. Unbelievable kindness, unbelievable care. Yaakov Avinu was a very wealthy man. What was he proud of when he to Slavan? His honesty, his integrity. Rahel Imenu, Rahel, my mother, my great-grandmother. Not exactly, but almost. My great-grandmother's sister. She gave up her husband just not to embarrass her sister. That's what I want to be like. I don't want to embarrass people. And I'm willing to sacrifice not to embarrass somebody. That's the step I want to take. Moshe Rabenu leaves the palace. How many people today do you know? They make a lot of money and they build this magnificent home, a fortress, and they lock the door behind them. They go into their car that has tinted windows Nobody could see them and they go in very deep into the house and nobody ever sees them because they're in their own world. Moshe Rabbeinu was in his own world. Palace, money, protection, power, you name it. What does he do? He says, my brothers are in need. Pasuk says, Vayetzeh. You know what that is? He left his fortress he left his comfort zone. Why? To help his brothers in need. And guess what? He suffered for it. He had to escape because of it. David Amelech is my idol. David Amelech, with all of his life challenges, singing his whole life, no matter where he was, he was singing song of praise and thankfulness, even in the most difficult times. He lil. He Hillel, that beautiful man Hillel, who spent half his wages, every day he gave half his earnings to go into the Bet Midrash. Today we don't charge people to come to shul. In those days, they charged people to come to shul and it wasn't a small price. He worked all day and gave half the money to the Bet Knesset. In those days they valued Torah. And when he didn't have money one day, he went on the freezing roof to go listen to Torah. That's a role model, a person who pursues wisdom. There's no end to the amount of stories that we have in the Torah, that we have in the Gemara, that we have in the Midrash. Not only those stories, so many of our own family members are great stories in themselves. One of the things that we could do in our lives is invest in studying the great people in our history. If anybody ever has a heart that's saying, Hashem, how do I get close to you? It's so hard for me. I'm not used to it. I'm not around it. I know I could do better. I know I should be better. I know I could talk better. I know I could socialize better. I know I could spend my time better. I know. But that's so hard for me. What should I do? Velohe <laughs> Avotenu. Go out to the store Today there's no excuse There's really no excuse You go to the store today To the Judaica store of your choice First of all go And build a nice big, big bookshelf And buy biographies Just buy any biography you can find And there are hundreds Maybe thousands Of great people And just live with them For a few hours Open up the book And just live with them. Just see where they went. See what they did. See how they reacted. That's called a kbehatzon. Having a biography on your night table, on your table in your living room, is so valuable. A, you'll learn a lot. B, you'll be giving a great role-modeling lesson for anyone who comes into your home that your goal is to go be'ikvehatzon. Your goal is to follow the steps of the people before you. Stories all over the bookstore are available to every one of us. There's no reason why we can't... It's By the way, it's the most enjoyable thing you could do. You know, learning Torah could be hard. It could be strenuous on the mind. But reading biographies is so rewarding. Every time in the Amidah we say, Elohenu, ve'lohe avotenu, we should be reminded that if we really want to connect to Hashem, we really need to go and study the people before us. Before we could study them, we first have to realize also that we're yafa banashim. We're supposed to be the role models and the teachers of mankind. We're supposed to be the ones that they look at once we have that and we follow the steps of the great people before us, we're going to be able to get closer to our Creator and we will be able to answer, ketzad لِحْيَوْتْ How do I live? How do I live? Look at my grandpa. I'll show you how to live. Look at my father. Let me show you how to live. Let me show you how to get married. Let me show you how to raise a child. Let me show you how to use every opportunity in life. Ketzad is a question they ask in Athens. It's not a question they ask in Yerushalayim. We have avotenu. We have a very clear direction of where to go in our lives. Baruch Amen ve'amen.